Well, good morning. It really is a privilege uh, for me to be here this morning. Uh, you know, I, we have sort of a tighter connection, maybe than many of you all realize. I feel like I know a number of you by name, uh, having participated in some of JT's football games and uh, uh, seen each of you perform and deliver through that means. Uh, but we've also had a deeper connection in a number of other ways. I go to uh, Blue Ridge Bible Church on the western side of Loudoun County. And uh, many years ago, we had this young college student come through named then Kelly Lawyer, now Kelly Cabana. And Kelly was uh, directing our children's ministry back then, and so I come in today, and what do I find? Lo and behold, she's doing the same thing here in uh, Fairfax. And uh, then we had the chance to meet Josh, her husband, as some time went by. And then on top of that, many of you may know Rich Scheip. Rich has preached here a number of times, and Rich actually grew up in our church and uh, then came on staff as a pastor to then step out and become the uh, pastor there of another church. And so it's been this neat connection. And then, of course, many of you know JT and Janelle, as well as little Jenny Gill, who, is that not the cutest little baby you ever did see? I know I'm a little biased, uh, but in her wee little boots this morning, it's just so cute. Well, um, all that just to say, uh, we just feel this good connection with all of you. And we know that this is a difficult season in which you don't have a senior pastor and you're still in the process of looking for that. We have gone through that ourselves. And uh, yet, God continues to bless you all immensely. It's just been very encouraging to see and to hear about the various ways in which he's doing so. And I just want to affirm you on something else. You guys have an awesome pastor right now. Amen? And, hang, and he and his family, his wife, uh, you've also got these outstanding elders that are leading your church. Can I just give you a little exhortation? Maybe sometime this week, take a moment, write them a note, send them an email. I don't know, maybe you're even really generous. Send them a little uh, gift certificate to something. And not just to each of those men in particular who are leading and holding that office. I would encourage you to do it for their wives. Because speaking as a pastor, if you bless me, that's one thing. You bless my wife, you have blessed me times a factor of 10. So if there are ways that you can bless their, uh, both of them and just let them know how much you appreciate the ministry that they have with you and that they've conducted with you, uh, they didn't ask me to do that. Uh, I just come from that position, having been in that role, and uh, it's just a big encouragement. So if you have your Bibles, let's go together into God's Word, and let's take, uh, let's take them out and turn to the book of Matthew, and we'll go to Matthew chapter 13. Josh, I just talked about you a moment ago. <laughs> Matthew chapter 13. Um, I heard a story once a while back. It's about a fella, and he had, this, he had this problem at work. Really frustrated. I mean, downright angry with one of his coworkers. And so he got so bad, he just finally realized, God, I really need you to deliver here. I, I need some input from you. So he said, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to get my Bible out. I'm going to flip it open. And whatever it tells me, that I'm going to do. So he took his Bible. He dropped it open. He looked, and he looked at the passage, and it says, And Cain rose against his brother and killed him. <laughs> and while he felt like, okay, this, I'm liking where this is going, I don't really think that's what God wants me to do. Closed his Bible up, opened it back up, plops down and looks, and he sees, What thou doest, do quickly. Still probably not what God wants. Closes his Bible up, prays, okay, God, speak to me again. Opens it up a third time, and he reads, 
and uh, what does he find? He finds, um, wait, I think I might have messed this up. Go down and do likewise. That's it. Go down and do likewise. And so as a result of all this, we hear something like that. We see a story, and we think, okay, I get it. It communicates to us that in order to properly apply a passage, we've got to know the context. We've got to know what it is that it's telling us in the big picture as well as in the small picture. Because if all we do is we just focus on this one little verse, we can take this and turn around and apply it in ways it was never intended. So the text that we're looking at today has to do with some of the parables of Jesus. So I want to give you the context. The book of Matthew as a whole. Matthew is writing to primarily a Jewish audience. Now, it applies to all of us today as well, certainly. But he's looking to speak to the Jew in particular. And in doing so, he's reminding them, look, you guys have been, you've got this Old Testament, and throughout, you've just seen all these things that have to do and tell you about this coming Messiah King and who he is and what it is that he's going to do. And so he continues to expound upon that and relay different things, reminding them Jesus is that one who is coming. He's going to be that king, that Jewish king. He comes out of the line of Judah. And like Moses of old, he's going to deliver his people out of a bondage and into a new freedom where he will rule sovereignly in that kingdom. Well, he's writing after Jesus is born, died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. All those events have already happened when Matthew puts ink to the paper. Um, but as he does so, he just continues to have to address a problem that a lot of Jews would have had against what he's writing. And this would have been their complaint. You say Jesus is the Messiah King. Yes, I do. Well, if Jesus is the King, where's the kingdom? And that's a good question. Where is this kingdom if he is, in fact, the king? In John chapter 19, Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And you remember what Jesus said? He said, My kingdom is not of this world. So that then begs the question, when we're talking about the kingdom, what in the world are we even addressing? What are we talking about? How do we explain that? Uh, if I had you take out all your phones right now, don't do it. But if I had you take out your phones right now and I said, I want you to answer this question and text it to this number, and we're going to take your answer to this question. We're going to put it on the screen with your picture next to it. And the question was, how would you define the kingdom? How many of you are ready to say, oh, I got the answer? We get a little nervous when we start realizing, wait a minute, everyone's going to know what I think about this. And I think we throw that term around about the kingdom of God fairly, in a, um, fairly often. Do we really know what we're talking about when we say it? I personally love how a fellow named R.C. Sproul has really taken the whole of the New Testament and examined this question and summarized it with really just a very short saying. When, he, when you talk about the kingdom of heaven, what is it? The kingdom of heaven is the realm of the redeemed. The kingdom of heaven is the realm of the redeemed. Prophesied in the Old Testament, it was inaugurated at that very first Christmas when Jesus came on the scene. It's officiated at the resurrection. And now Jesus reigns. He does reign. But he's not reigning from the temple or the throne in Jerusalem, at least not for now. In fact, at the end of Matthew, he says, all authority has been given to me. So we say, okay, yeah, we see that and we get that. But what does it look like right now? And so we come back to, well, if we are citizens of the kingdom of God, what does that mean? It means that we are the, the realm of the redeemed living in these different spheres of our life, wherever it is that God has you. 
All those different places, he's put you there. And you know that one day the king will come back. So to get you ready for everything, what does Matthew do? In the first four chapters, he just keeps telling you all these different ways that God has communicated Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. Starts with a genealogy to say the Old Testament shows you through his line he's the king. Then the angels make the proclamation. The magi make the proclamation. The Old Testament continues to show you Jesus is the king. John the Baptist is the forerunner to the king. He's come, he's made this announcement. And even at Jesus' baptism, God the Father, as well as the Holy Spirit, kind of came down and spoke and said, this is him. Pay attention. It's big neon lights. This is the one. And then Matthew goes on to show even the devil gives testimony that he's the king. Because the devil throws out the temptations and he can't trip Jesus up. Doesn't happen. Matthew goes into the preaching of the king. We call that the Sermon on the Mount. And then the power of the king through his various miracles. And then we get to our chapter, chapter 13. And here, something unique is going on. It's sort of a watershed chapter in the book of Matthew. Because you've seen all this case that Jesus is the Messiah up to this point. After chapter 13, there's going to be a transition. And Jesus is going to, or Matthew is going to make the point, the Jews are rejecting him. And now Jesus is going to go to the Gentiles. So what happens in chapter 13? The watershed is you start to get an introduction that the kingdom isn't going to quite be exactly like a lot of Jews thought it was going to be. And so throughout this, Jesus is going to communicate not Old Testament truth. He's going to present new truth that you won't find in your Old Testament. And he's going to do it through the, uh, the teaching tool of the parable. So some parables will go to the entire crowds. Some parables will only go to his disciples. But he's making the point, I'm going to take this little tool and I'm going to show you different things through it. And so you've got this responsibility to hear. When a parable goes out, does the speaker have to be clear? Of course they do. But there's a responsibility on the hearer to say, no, wait a minute, help me understand that. What's that mean? One of my favorite movie lines in The Lord of the Rings is in the very first episode in which Bilbo Baggins is having his big birthday party. Many of you might remember that. And he stands up in front of everybody and he says, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. And you remember the crowd's response? They go, oh, yeah, wait a minute. You know, let's repeat that. What exactly were you saying? The responsibility is on them to come back and to say, what did you mean by that? And Bilbo didn't give them the opportunity. He just disappears and goes off the scene. Well, when it comes to the parable, you and I also have the responsibility, just like the disciples did, to ask the question, what do you mean? Now, the parables, they're not a fable. It's not like Aesop's fables, all right? Those always try to teach some sort of moral lesson not the parables. The word parable means to come alongside. And what you're going to do with a parable is you're going to give some sort of a teaching that illustrates the truth of what is being communicated. So you get it, you look at it, you hear the story, and you go, aha, I get it. I understand what this means. Or at least that's the ideal. And Jesus is the master teacher, isn't he? He knows how to communicate his ideas. And even though he used parables many times, let's realize he didn't invent them. He didn't come up with them. In fact, the Jewish rabbis had been using them for years as a way to illustrate your Old Testament uh, Mosaic law. And so Jesus, again, he's using them to say, here's new revelation, new teaching, and I want to help everyone get the privilege of being able to hear what that teaching is. 
and hear what God is saying. But that doesn't mean people understood what he was saying. In chapter 13, verse 9, Jesus says, Anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. And in the Bible, there's hearing. And then there's really hearing to grasp it. Maybe you've heard the joke of the business representative. You know, he had this guy, and this fellow was coming in. The fellow was not really known for being a listener. And so in the job interview, the guy comes up to him and he says, All right, well, let's talk a little bit before you take this job. And one of the first questions I got for you is, Where do you see yourself in the next five years? And the guy sat there and he goes, Hmm. Well, to answer your question, I think my biggest weakness is I don't listen. To which the response would be like, good point. And to take your answer to answer my question, I don't see you working here in the next five years. In marriage, is there hearing? And is there really hearing? Everybody say, yeah. Oh, yeah, there is. All the ladies at this point are going, oh, preach it, brother. <laughs> Go down this and get this, get this explained. And all the men are looking and going, um, what? <clears throat> When you just hear, sound waves are coming off your eardrums, right? And you can say, well, I heard that message. But really hearing says, I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to take what you gave me, and I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to now begin to allow it to go to here, to then to go here, to then to go here, and my feet, and my speech. That's when you know you've embraced it. And Jesus knew that in his audience, he had both kinds. Um, in any given church this morning, there are both kinds. There are those that are going to hear, and then there are going to be those who are super hearers. How do you tell? It's based entirely on what they do with what they hear. What do you do with the things that you've heard? But for those that didn't respond, their ignorance was going to be a self-imposed divine judgment. God could say, I told you, but you refused. They can say, well, we didn't hear it. No, you did. You did. So in Matthew 13, Jesus is speaking about this kingdom, its various phases and workings, and he's using eight parables to do it and to communicate it. He spoke first about the transformational power of the kingdom, and he used this parable of the sower and the soils. Maybe many of you are familiar with that one, to say that the message went out, but the response was different, depending on what type of soil that heart was. And then he spoke about the expansion and the growth of the kingdom, and he talked about uh, a mustard seed and how it can grow to be a big bush there in the garden. Or you've got leaven within bread and how it just permeates and goes throughout the entirety of the bread. He speaks about the value of the kingdom. And he gives the two parables of the uh, pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. And how the individual sold everything they had so they could go get that treasure. Because they knew whatever they gave up today was more than worth it for what they were going to get. And finally, Jesus has two parables and he speaks about judgment. The first one having to do with the wheat and the tares and the passage we're looking at today, the dragnet. How's that for an intro? Let's look at it together here. Verse 47. Jesus is speaking. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish in the containers but the bad, they threw away. And all God's people said, hmm, yes, deep. What does it mean? I have no idea. 
Well, fortunately, Jesus explains it for us in verse 49. So it will be at the end of the age. Now, again, we're talking about the end of this age, the time where the king does come back to reign on the earth. Prior to that, there's a judgment. And he says, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that's not hard to understand, is it? Easy enough for a three-year-old to get. I don't recommend you read them that before they go to bed at night because it's a little terrifying, isn't it? But it's meant to be. There's a seriousness here. The characters are all identified by Jesus. The actions are explained. The imagery is right there. It's been set. And the focal point of the parable is not a person. It's a thing, a dragnet. Now, using a dragnet to fish, that's like going to a party with Omicron present. You're going to catch it. You know, I mean, it's, it's how you catch things. When I was in land survival in the military, one of the things they told us about our little kit, if we ever got caught behind enemy lines, is you had this thing called the dragnet as part of the kit package. And they said, you find any little creek or small river, you put that dragnet across it, you will catch something. You won't starve. Nothing gets past it. And here, Jesus is telling us, there is a dragnet in which every human being must come into contact with, and they won't make it past. God's determined this. You won't make it past. You're either going to come towards a reward for something that's wonderful or towards a horrible destiny. And it's based entirely on whether or not you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Um, I've told some of my friends, there's restaurants now in D.C., that you can't go into unless you first can present your vaccination card. Now, I'm not up here to talk about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, whether you agree or disagree with it. But it is interesting. You don't have that card, you don't go in to eat. It's the past by which you, get, you continue to go forward. And Jesus is letting us know there is a card that you have to put on display to enter into my kingdom. Verse 50, it's almost verbatim with verse 42 here just a little while earlier. When Jesus repeats himself, folks, know this, it's not a glitch in the matrix. All right? When Jesus repeats himself, it's to make a point. When Jesus repeats himself, it's to make a point. When Jesus repeats himself, it's to make a point. It's exactly what he's doing here. And he is making a point of an emphasis on judgment. Now, that's not necessarily something we get excited about and want to talk about very much, is it? But Jesus does. He said, this is a big deal. It's important. There is an eternal suffering, and it's based upon, in large part, it's going to be, I shouldn't say it's based upon, it's going to be granted unto those who don't respond to the message that they've heard. Earlier in the parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus makes the point, you know, you've got all these plants that are growing at the same time. All right? And when they first come up, they're all green. You can't tell what's wheat and what's weeds. Time goes by, you can tell. Over time, they begin to show themselves. And Jesus is making the point that that's what God knows. Over time, we're going to be revealed for whose we are. It's just, it, it comes with being what you are. That's how it is today, by the way. Isn't it? 
Uh, Fairfax Bible. I mean, I just got finished talking to you about some of the great things that you guys have, that you guys are doing, that you guys are being known for out in the community and how you're seeing God at work in and through you and the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of deeds that you have that go with that. Now, we're all in agreement. Those deeds do not save you. Amen? We're all in agreement on that, and I know you know that. Only Jesus does that. But when Jesus does it, there begins to be a transformation. We should start seeing you be and live differently. God has declared you perfectly righteous in Jesus Christ. And as time goes on, your life should begin to look more and more like what you really are. So we're going to see you live more in righteousness. We're going to see you grow in your love. We're going to see you grow in goodness. But again, it's being what you already are. And it manifests itself in and through your life. And Jesus says, the way you know is it comes down to how the people responded to the message that they got. And at the judgment of God, it's going to be made clear who are the wheat and the weeds. We don't always know that today, do we? God always does. And every kind of person, according to the dragnet, will go through that kind of a judgment. Everyone. Folks, that's a sobering reality. That's the part I don't really get that fired up, I should say, about preaching. Because it's, it's hard news. But it's a reality, and Jesus spoke about it. It's a judgment in which there's no provision for parole. It's a judgment in which there's no court of appeals. The time to consider the kingdom is now. It's not later. It's not hoping that things will be different later. No, it's now. And often, are there people in this life that don't want to hear this? Yeah, there are. There are people that don't want to hear this. They don't want to have God in their thinking. Uh, they don't want to hear his word. They don't want to understand it. They are his enemies. They are fugitives from him. And so when it's spoken and you share this word, there are going to be those whose eardrums pick it up. But that's it. They're not going to do anything else with it. And those words may actually be part of what God uses as a judgment against them. But are there those who will respond? Yes. There will be those who hear, but they really hear. Just like you did. Just like you. And I think this is why Jesus sort of takes these parables and now he wraps them up with a little story that we begin to pick up here in verse 51. But he starts with a question for his disciples. He looks at them and he goes, So fellas, 51, have you understood all these things? Not did you hear. Did you hear so that you might understand? And the disciples answered in verse 51, they said to him, Yes, we do understand. And I was talking about this with a friend of mine, and he brought up a great point. He said, isn't the disciples' response to this somewhat hilarious? When they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we got it, 100%. Yeah, totally, totally makes sense to us. When it's clear, when we continue to read throughout the Gospels, they didn't not only really understand the kingdom, they didn't yet fully understand the Gospel. That was going to come later on, particularly when the Holy Spirit came upon them. But for now, they say, oh, yeah, 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 we got it, we got it, we got it. You know, stop and think, when an omniscient God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking you the question because he wants you to wrestle with something. He wants you to stop and think about it. Now, it's easy to rail on these disciples. 
right? I mean, there's a part of me that thinks, oh, yeah, 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 you know, we would never do that. No, we would do exactly what they did. We would have responded in the exact same way. But what should have been the response? Do you understand these things? Oh, yeah. Do you understand these things? Well, I thought I did until you just asked me that question. <laughs> and now I'm not so sure. What should I be asking? What should I be thinking here, Lord? Well, Jesus has a final parable for them. And uh, really, it's for any disciple. And he goes on to say, therefore. Now, I know you've heard that little phrase. What is the therefore? Therefore, right? This is a statement saying, all the things that I've brought to your attention up to this point are now leading you to an action or a response or a belief from this point on. So in light of all we've just covered, therefore... Every scribe who's become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. You know, when I was a kid, during the summers, my parents would take me to my grandparents' house, and they would let me stay there for a couple of weeks. A little plug for Jenny. You may want to think about letting her just come out and hang out for a few weeks. Well, one of my grandfathers in particular, he loved country music. And so whenever I would go to his house, he would bring out his instruments, he'd bring out his guitar in particular, and he'd start playing it. And he would teach me these different things. He would let me play the guitar, and I was learning all these different things about him. Why did he like country music? What was it about the, the music? Today, I actually have that guitar. It's part of my possessions. He has since passed on and gone to be with the Lord. But it reminds me of some of the newer things that it was that he was creating, he was coming up with. Now, along those lines, he also had this, i got a picture for you, this wooden P-38 Lightning airplane. During World War II, he had two jobs. One of his jobs was, since he was a young man, he had worked on the railroad, the Army said, oh, you've worked on the railroad. We're going to send you over to Europe to help repair the railroad so we can get our supplies to the front lines in a much better and timelier fashion. But before he went there, he actually was a guard here in the U.S. over German prisoners. And he said that within the camp that they would have, they had this little wood shop to help the guys pass the time away. And this particular German prisoner built this little airplane by hand. And as a result, when he got finished, he couldn't take it back with him, so he gave it to my grandfather. And now I have that. And I have both of these treasures. I keep them. They're more than just memorabilia. Both of them show me aspects of his life and of the things that shaped him. It was some of the newer things and some of the older things. But it's a display from his past that reveals that to me. Well, Jesus, in taking these old truths and these new truths and communicating to those who heard and understood, they wanted them, he wanted them to know what it was that he was about. And they were to take these truths and their Old Testament and reveal him to others. The text, in some ways, also reminds me of people like the Apostle Paul, uh, James, Luke, so many of these New Testament writers. They've got the Old Testament, but they don't merely take the Old Testament and show you how it moves into the New. They bring in Jesus' new truths as well, so that you see you have a fuller picture and understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And these truth treasures were meant to direct people into the plan and the realm of God. You and I, we get to do the same thing. We get to communicate these truths 
to other people. Some are listening. Some are really listening. But we get to present that plan. I think this is why it's so key, and we are so encouraged when we hear about Fairfax Bible Church and how you guys are committed to the Word of God. You're not committed to how are we going to get out the latest social issue? How are we going to talk about the latest political issue? How are we going to? That's not what you're about, just trying to react to what's going on in the world. You guys are being proactive and saying, what are the treasures of the kingdom? That's what we got to focus on. And as we focus on that, it then begins to work its way out into our lives. And then we, in turn, get to turn around and pass it on to others that they might put it into their lives. You take these two parables together, the dragnet, that shows us the stakes. And yet the householder shows us the mission. The stakes and the mission to show and communicate Jesus so that we don't find people whose eternal destiny is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we don't find people who look grievously back on what their opportunity was, but that they might instead also be part of the realm of the redeemed. That's what we want to find. That's what we want to help and to encourage. And again, some are healed. Some will hear. That'll be the end of it. But some will super hear. And they will then continue to grow to seek to understand. They're not just going to be attenders at church. They're not just going to be one way on Sunday and another way on Monday or Tuesday. They're not going to get lost in just playing religion. Instead, they're going to know Jesus. And then they're going to turn around to communicate him and learn the truths and find the blessing of living in anticipation of the kingdom that is to come. You're going to be in it. You are in it. But you're going to be in the fullness of it in a later day. I think this is why it's so cool at the end of every service, what you guys leave reminding one another of. Love Christ, live sent. That's right here. This is what Jesus is highlighting. So when it comes to Jesus, who are you? Who are you? Are you a hearer? Or are you a super hearer? One who takes what's been communicated to then turn around and put it through a heart of faith into your life and respond to him. Folks, to understand that is to be forever changed. Forever changed. To then turn around and take that and to pour it into other people. Just like somebody did for you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, to stop and to think about the fact that there is an eternity is something you've called us to do. We live in a world that doesn't want to think about that. And we understand why they don't, because it's not an eternity necessarily of hope. We have a hope. So help us to be a people that are faithful with that hope. Faithful that will live it out. And then, not content with that, that we will speak it out to others. And God, would you give us the privilege of being able to perhaps even be that, maybe that 50th, that 60th, 70th person who communicates, but then your spirit enlightens and they go, I get it. And they enter the realm of the redeemed. And if they reject, if they reject us, would you enable us the faith to remember that it's not us they're rejecting, it's you. Um, but, Lord, our heart does want to always break for them. 
So would you enable us to be a people that have this sense, the sense of remembering what the stakes are, but also remembering the power of the gospel. Use Fairfax Bible Church. And I pray that Fairfax is a changed area because this church is here. And each member was faithful with what you gave them. And to that end, we leave all the results from that point on to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.